0: Hello, and welcome to the Amherst STEM Network podcast. Podcast. My name is Victor Poe, your host for today's episode, where we talk to Professor Jacob Oshansky, Professor Oshansky is a new professor here at Amherst. He just started in the fall, Um, and um, I'll be introducing him to you guys and asking him a couple questions so he can introduce himself a little. Professor Oshansky just taught Chem 155 this past semester and is teaching Chem 360 in the spring semester. Welcome to the podcast, Professor Oshansky, and thank you for joining me. Um, Thanks for having me. Can you uh, tell us a little about your journey in chemistry and what inspired you to become a professor in this subject?
1: Um, well, I guess my journey in chemistry starts in high school, potentially, um, um, where I really did not enjoy chemistry, <laughs> which is actually pretty common. I hear that a lot when I tell people I'm a chemist. Um, what are the three things they say? They say, have you seen Breaking Bad? Um, or I hated chemistry in high school. And I say, me too, I hated chemistry in high school also. Um, Cause it just felt like I was memorizing a lot of things that didn't really matter. They weren't related to the real world. And I, at the same time, I also was really into medical drama TV, shoot, TV shows and I thought, I want to be a doctor. That seems like science that's useful. Mm-hmm you can help people, it's applied. So um, I guess my passion for chemistry definitely didn't start in high school. And I I went to uh, um, Haverford College, which is, um, you may be familiar with it, similar um, in size um, and and kind of admission to Amherst College. Um, And when I started at Haverford, I was a pre-med. But similar to amherst and your first year you can't take biology classes you have to actually take chemistry first and so then i enrolled in you know college chemistry 101 something like that i remember i took a placement test and i forgot what a mole is which was like the first question on the placement test and i got all the rest of the questions wrong and so i got put in the um the the first level of general chemistry didn't place out of anything um but that course was felt much more related to the real world um, than what i remember from high school and got me thinking that actually what was really interesting about biology and the world around me could be could be explained by chemistry and um i think as my interest expanded i started questioning whether i wanted to be a pre-med and i ended up doing research that first summer after my first year of college in a chemistry lab, in a materials chemistry lab that, that builds, um, you know that's, that has the goal of making useful materials that could be components in technology and laser pointers or in phones or something like that. And, and that kind of sparked my interest further. And, and I especially found something that, I guess I didn't realize how much I loved it, which is that I really liked making pretty colors in the lab and i like understanding how the microscopic structure relates to the pretty colors and i think by that, you know by my second year i had drank the kool-aid the photon kool-aid because i you know colors come from photons and i just understanding how those photons are are generated and absorbed by um, materials microscopic materials really interested interested me so I I had by then officially switched out of pre-med and into chemistry and it's all kind of downhill from there I loved pretty colors I wanted to do chemistry research that, that kind of related to you know understanding why the world looks the way it does how can we make these beautiful colors how can we understand them And then the secondary interest that developed, you know, through this latter half of my college years is yes, pretty colors are fun Um, and certainly, you know, personally maybe selfishly interesting to learn about the physical mechanisms behind them. Um, You know, what good is this research to the, to the wider community, to the world? And, um, I became pretty interested and in, I'm still really interested in alternative energy research, particularly using sunlight as an energy source to either create electricity or fuels so that that kind of sent me down the path which I'm still on, which is you know understanding how light interacts with matter with the goal of um, you know creating or learning about new materials that could be used for alternative energy applications, solar energy conversion applications, um, with the selfish goal of making really pretty colors and understanding those. Um, so after undergrad, I um, I went to UC Berkeley and got a PhD um, in which I made these, these things that um, I just have fallen in love with these materials called quantum dots, which are so colorful. If you just Google quantum dots right now, you'll be um, (laughs) your screen will fill with rainbows of of different sizes of them, which can produce all the different colors of of light. And I worked with those for um, through my PhD. And in my postdoc, which was at Northwestern, I worked with um, these short, strands of DNA, and understanding how light could, um, when absorbed by these short strands of DNA, could, could send charges down DNA. And that could be useful for a variety of applications, including understanding biological repair mechanisms, and um, also potentially using these funny little DNA molecules um, for, for solar energy conversion, or for even quantum computing, which is kind of a whole nother story. Um, and so, all of these things have fed into my interests um, as a researcher and a professor here at Amherst. Um, so, I guess, do you have follow-up questions on, on that? Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I... That's um, kind of my research trajectory, but maybe, you know, right. why do I want to work at a place like Amherst College, I could, I could elaborate on. Yeah, sure. Um, so, as... Under, as someone who, whose career was very much dictated by their undergraduate research experience, my personal undergraduate mm-hmm. research experience was very informative. Um, I, that stuck with me and I realized I wanted to give that experience to students in the future. I, I think, you know, you, you can learn a lot from a course, but nothing matches what you learn in the lab, where you're allowed to fail, where there's no right answer, or you mix things together, you don't know what's gonna happen, Um, You're surprised all the time. It's very tactile. You're working with the real world. You're working to understand how the real world works. And I think that's kind of how science should be done. And to get students involved in that as early as possible in a very meaningful way, you know, getting them involved in cutting edge research that could lead to alternative energy solutions, but at its core is just mixing pretty colors in the lab and understanding why they look the way they do. Um, That's something that I'm very passionate about. Providing for as many students as I can, and I thought Amherst was the perfect place to do that. Yeah, yeah. I um, I know in high school I kind
0: of experienced the same thing where I um, I was much more into biology because it's just is you're learning about like how the human body works like this machine and right. the mechanisms and chemistry just seemed like a bunch of, you know. Hypothetical to uh-huh. like to like beyond beyond the what we can see and beyond like our
1: it often feels like in these contrived examples, maybe mm. like imagine one atom of neon in a vacuum tube or something <laughs> like that. It's like I've never experienced that in my life. Yeah, I, can imagine yeah. That. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, um, and then, um, uh,
0: yeah, I kind of like I. Like one of the only reasons I enjoyed chemistry was you know the cool the cool experiments where you know my my professor would you know take a block of sodium and drop it in water mm-hmm. and be a big explosion or something yeah. but um I, yeah, I found like last year in my during my freshman year we um there was a, we talked a lot more like since i was i don't know in my my high school their class was less textbook based, but like, in I mean, obviously in college, you're gonna read more from the textbook. And, um, you know, I see these little blocks of text or of like real life applications. And I always thought like London dispersion forces weren't very cool to me unless, until I like learned that like geckos use them to oh, yeah. like climb walls and like, and like I learned more about them like be like UMass and I know a UMass they're doing research on um on alternatives to adhesives um right. by using like London dispersion forces and then um and then my professors brought up in like in one fifty five like a lot more um like research that professors they knew were doing mm-hmm. or scientists. And um, just interesting research on what we are learning. So, yeah, I found I found it a lot more interesting in college, much like you did. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, it just finding the connections to the real world is really important.
0: And I've been right. trying to
1: do that in Chem One Fifty Five this year. I have a series that I call Humans in Chemistry. It's a, a video series mm-hmm. that I make every Friday, um and one of the themes. Well, there's three themes. One is focusing on spotlighting his, historical and even contemporary chemists who come from underrepresented groups, primarily, um, just to show the breadth of the different types of chemists out there and different types of successful chemists, and some of them possibly overlooked as well. Um, especially since a lot of the foundational experiments that are covered in introductory chemistry courses are done by kind of the same, same demographic group over and over again. Um, it's, it's nice to show that that's not the only people doing chemistry, especially since uh, Amherst is such a, has such a diverse student body, which is great. Um, so th- sorry, that's one portion of humans in chemistry. Another portion, getting back to the topic, is chemistry in everyday life. Mm-hmm. So I did um, a, a little video on aerosols which is really important right now because that's how people are saying that the COVID virus is being transmitted. It's why we're wearing masks because Mm -hmm. there's tiny little bits of virus floating around in the air. And when we were talking about the kinetic molecular theory of gases, I worked in how how these little bits of virus could be understand with the same theory and why we have to wear the masks and how long they can float around in the air. Mm -hmm. Um, Then I talked about fall colors at some point, which I think are kind of done now. But a few months ago they were very vibrant, and um, there again, it was all about the photons <laughs> yeah <laughs> and you, you know you can really use chemistry to understand why are the trees looking the way they do um, and and right. that, I think that can maybe excite people the way it did for me ten years ago when I was taking my first chemistry um, collegiate chemistry course
0: right um have you i know um I've been learning a lot about the human and STEM program that Amherst has have you been uh I know like since what what you what you're you've been doing with like humans and chemistry sounds very similar to that have yeah, you com-
1: completely inspired by being human right yeah I didn't make that make it up on my own it was a, not I wouldn't say a rip-off but like very much based on being <laughs> um yeah actually one of the things I was most excited about when I was interviewing for the position here at Amherst um, was this vibrant um, community formed around being human in STEM, um, especially with Dr. J and all the great work she's been doing. um, Made me think that, you know, amongst all the institutions that like to say that they value supporting a diverse student body, Amherst is doing more to, to actually support. The diverse student body i mean work still work needs to be done but um it's great that we're not only walking or talking to talk but also walking the walk i guess right yeah yeah. Um, but yeah it's it's a program that i'd love to be a part of in the future i mean that my first it's my first year here so i can't it's i'm not going to wade into being a co-instructor on that mm. course when i have to build my research lab and, and teach the disciplinary courses as well but hopefully in, in in the future I can be a part of the um, yeah be a part of that course yeah
0: um so would you give an advice to like to students who are interested in doing something some similar research to you
1: um or even doing research in my lab or <laughs> yeah yeah I guess um If you're interested in doing research at Amherst College with any of the faculty, I'd say don't be afraid to reach out. People, you know, I like getting emails from students interested in research and I always respond. Sometimes it takes me three days, but I always respond. And if you're on campus, I'll give you a tour of the lab. I love showing off the, the beautiful materials I make in the lab. And I love, you know, just chatting about the research that we're doing. So, and, and I'm not alone, all the professors in the chemistry department and in the other departments I'm sure are, are like that. So yeah, don't be afraid to just send emails, say I'm interested in your research. Can you tell me more about it? I would say, you know, you can do some background reading, but you don't, you don't need to do an infinite amount of background reading. You don't, need, you, don't be worried that you don't understand the professor's research before reaching out to them because it's, they've been doing it for decades or more. Um, and, and you can't be expected to understand it right away. Um, in fact, that's, that's our role is to guide you through the research. So don't let that be an impediment to reaching out. Um, I'd say maybe another piece of advice is if you don't feel comfortable or confident in a field like chemistry or biology, if you did poorly on a test one time in high school or college, that is by no means any indication that you can't be a chemist. Mm. No. Failure is part of science. Um, doing not so well on an exam is 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 minor compared to having the passion and the interest um, in, in engaging in the research. Um, so, you know, don't you know, don't apologize for not doing so well in a course once. It's it's not a big deal. You know, what I look for when I'm looking for research students, I don't, I don't ask for transcripts, for example. I just look for someone who I think is interested. You know that the drive, the interest, being curious about the topic is far more important than getting all the answers right and being able to plug in the numbers on the calculator um, without making errors. Right. That's another piece of advice. It's failure is <laughs> a part of science and you know, passion and interest is, is far more important yeah. than being able to get all the answers right on an exam.
0: Mm-hmm yeah that's um something that I've learned to love about chemistry like you said earlier with the the labs and it's okay to fail and like mm-hmm. when you do it's you you just you that's part of your learning experience and you take yeah what what could have what could have um what could have led to this failure like what what caused the the mm-hmm my calculations to go wrong or my uh, measurements to go wrong and right you you analyze your experiment and see you know what possibilities is it just human error or is it beyond that you know
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i mean science the the venture of science the um is inherently a bunch of people who don't know what they're doing (laughs) (laughs) because like to do cutting edge research, we can't know the answer or else we wouldn't do it. Um, mm-hmm. So we don't, we don't know what the answers are gonna be. We don't know what we're gonna find. We make predictions and we're usually wrong. Um, and yeah, I have this song that I used to sing in, while I was a postdoc. It's not a very interesting song, but when I would be training my undergraduate or graduate student mentees, I'd hum, we don't know what we're doing. We don't know what we're doing. <laughs> usually you're trying something new that nobody in the history of, of the world has ever done before. And so there's not, there's not going to be a right way to do it. You know, we mix these two things together. Is this right? Does this make sense? I don't know. Let's see what happens. And a lot of the times it doesn't make sense and you didn't do it right. And then you just, you learn from that, right? Like you said, you know, it's the best way to learn is to, to make a mistake. Um, and what yeah. I think is great about science is that, although I guess in the introductory classes, it feels like there are always a right answer, when you get to cutting edge, new science, new research, um, you don't really have to be so worried or constrained by looking for the quote unquote right answer, because nece- there isn't necessarily going to be one. Mm-hmm. Um, the world will tell you what what's happening eventually. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Um... Yeah, college is kind of interesting in that way. Where, you know, a lot of students look up to professors as like as if um they're they're kind of like the holders of knowledge of like mm-hmm. facts and which they are, but they are also you know the the professors are also in the process of learning where through their research oh, yeah. and uh, and even through teaching students they. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure that there's a lot of um, experiences where a professor um, learns from their students.
1: Right, yeah, I, I, I learned so much in Chem 155 teaching introductory chemistry this last semester, mm-hmm. both from my co-instructor, Professor Marshall, but also just from the great questions I was getting from the students. And me thinking, well, that, that's a really interesting mm-hmm. question. Let me look into that. And I had to do research to figure out How to answer it appropriately. Um, But yeah, I think being a teacher scholar, which is the great thing of another, you know, to bring us back to why do I want to, why did I want to work at a place like Amherst College? It's because we're encouraged to be truly teacher scholars. That is, we're encouraged to do an excellent job teaching, conveying information, but also spending a lot of time trying to learn new stuff ourselves. And hopefully that informs the teaching and also shows the students, like yourself, how, um, how we are in this continued process of learning and relearning. Um, it never ends. <laughs> the process of learning and, and, and relearning never ends.
0: Yeah. Um, I, heard, I, mean, I heard you talk about um, some of the real life applications that your research has with them. Um, Mm-hmm. Lighting up DNA and uh, and the particles coming in the air. Um, what, what other real-life applications have you found um, kind of inspiring for your research?
1: Sure, yeah, so um, I guess the materials I work with, one of the main materials I work with, which are called quantum dots um, and are kind of characterized by their beautiful colors, their ability to absorb and emit light very efficiently. Mm. Um, and they actually have applications is um, in TVs and in screens, um, the red and the green pixels in a TV that is a QLED TV, the Q part of the QLED TV means, is short for quantum dot. So the red and the green mm. pixels in those TVs are coming from these materials that I studied. So that's one application. I mean, I guess it's already been commercialized, so what more can I do? But you know, mm-hmm. we can be making less toxic materials, we can more efficiently synthesize the materials. Um, but the same, for the same reasons that they're really great at emitting light, they're also really great at absorbing light. And so one um, area of research that I am just actually recently got funding to, to pursue in the next two years is using these materials to absorb sunlight and then perform a chemical reaction. The chemical reaction I'm interested in, which I think um, could be very impactful, is taking carbon dioxide, so CO2, the thing that is causing global warming. When we burn fossil fuels, we create CO2. The CO2 causes the greenhouse effect that leads to global warming. So converting CO2 um, using sunlight um, to a fuel like methane, or, or something that could then be turned into a fuel, something called syngas, which then we can, we can use to make fuel. So it, um, thinking of it as a cycle, if we use sunlight to convert CO2 to a fuel and then put that in our cars and burn it, um, which will then create CO2, it's at least a carbon neutral process. No right. new carbon dioxide is, is emitted into the atmosphere. Um, I mean, ideally we would have a net negative process but um, hydrocarbon fuels the types of fuels that we use in our cars and our airplanes um, are just very energy dense and it's hard to move to an economy that doesn't use any hydrocarbon fuels at all but wouldn't it be great if we can make those hydrocarbon fuels without digging into the ground and pulling up fossil fuels if we can instead use sunlight and carbon dioxide to make them so the um, that's something that just got funded and I'm really excited to start working on it this summer. Um, so, photocatalytic CO2 reduction is, is kind of a, the area of research. Um, and um, some people also call this artificial photosynthesis mm-hmm. because what do plants do? They take sunlight and they convert CO2 to sugar, which is then their fuel, right? Yeah. And then wow, it also turns out to be our fuel millions of years later when we dig it out of the ground.
0: right? Yeah that's really fascinating. I mean like that that seems like a good um yeah like a good way to transition from to slow down climate change and transition from you know these fossil fuels that we've been using and um right to to clean energy.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's a step along the way. It's you know mm-hmm. it's not the end all, but you know Hopefully, right. we can do some basic energy to help improve these technologies. Right, like or at least I, yeah. train. You know what else is great about Amherst mm-hmm. is we're training young scientists to think, in you know, to become experts in certain fields. So maybe if my research doesn't lead to mm-hmm. a breakthrough in this area, I'll at least have trained young scientists who can then go on to make a breakthrough in the right. realm of alternative energy.
0: Yeah, and like, I think a lot. That's something I, a lot of people look past is kind of that trend, like the possibility of having that transition step um, between clean energy and um, fossil fuels. So like becoming a professor in the midst of a pandemic must be a a strange feeling. What challenges have you (laughs) faced in uh, teaching a class during a semester on Zoom?
1: My situation has been a little bit unique because like you said, I'm starting this position in the midst of a pandemic, mm-hmm. the senior colleagues in my department understood how difficult that would be and paired me up with, a, with someone who's been teaching for 34 years, Professor Mark Marshall, um, as a way to help me navigate the transition. And so he's been teaching Chem 155 or Chem 151, some version of this class for many years. And so I kind of let him lead the course and I just provided su- support. I, I uh, ran team-based learning discussion sections on Mondays. Did office hours. Helped develop some of the remote labs. But um, really, it was a, a huge team effort. And I have to thank Professor Marshall so much for kind of leading the effort because honestly, it was difficult to build my lab. You know, I have a research lab with equipment with you know. You know, I bought boxes upon boxes of scientific equipment and chemicals Mm -hmm. over the last few months and that was a lot to manage. And getting students trained in the research lab um, when you could only have two students in there at once and we have to be six feet apart and we have to wear masks, that was a lot as well. And getting instruments installed and coordinating with the... instrument companies on when they can build the instruments when they can come to install them with all the covid restrictions has taken a tremendous amount of time um, and so i just can't thank professor marshall enough for taking the lead on that on the class mm-hmm. um, but um with his expertise and kind of creativity in making these video lectures um and with me running these in-person discussion sections i think the class went pretty well mm-hmm. um, and I guess, I mean, Zoom fatigue, your day filled with Zoom meetings, um, staring at the screen all day certainly um, is a drain. But um, since I'm in a completely new environment doing a completely new job, um, I think that's kind of invigorated me to to get past the Zoom fatigue. So I, I'd say it's, it's actually been a rather positive semester and a positive experience experience in the midst of all of this, um, all these unfortunate circumstances. Um, But I I know that that's unique to my situation because I had such a a nice senior colleague as well as um, kind of just the joy of finally having my own research lab and, 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 you know, working, doing a completely different type of job um, Hmm. than I was doing last year yeah um, and all those students i mean meeting all these excited students even on zoom you can see the smiles you can see the excitement mm-hmm. it kind of invigorates me <laughs> right yeah yeah and,
0: um yeah i'm sure you guys are doing a great job because i know it's kind of hard to get excited through zoom but yeah um, yeah I
1: mean, students seem to really like the video lectures that professor marshall puts together
0: mm-hmm. yeah um, um what excites you about it, teaching in a post-pandemic
1: world? Well, a lot of things excite me about teaching and doing research in a post-pandemic world. Mm-hmm. Um, for some, you know, some things that would have excited me in a pre-pandemic world, which is interacting, You know, all the reasons why I said I wanted to work at Amherst College, you know, being a teacher scholar, um, inspiring new students, um, young students to get involved in research you know, after their first year, even. Um, showing them that chemistry isn't necessarily boring. And even if you hate it in, in high school, we can show how it's related to the real world. It's related to technology of the future. Uh, and then I guess, you know, g- getting them involved in the research can also show them that your value as a chemist is not how you did on that exam. It, it's your value as a chemist is how much are you interested in why the world looks the way it does or what we can do about the materials in the world the microscopic materials in the world to solve real problems um, and so all of that really excites me you know, and, uh, about this job um, broadly i guess you know specifically post-pandemic i actually see some kind of useful changes so we can be more flexible with students um, with um with accommodations, with um, collaborative science across borders, across um, across the country, but acro- also around the world. I mean, I'm thinking of like, you know, people who do the same type of research as me, previously to really engage with them, you typically would travel across the country and give a talk in, you know, chat, which is great, which it's great to do that. But I feel like pe- this newfound comfortability with Zoom and remote meetings will kind of just bring research communities together. And it will also make teaching um, can expand the tool set that educators have um, with now a kind of a com- a more comfortability with filming lectures, with having students Zoom in, you know, if, if, they, if they can't come to campus or for some reason or they're, they're um, they need additional accommodations or if they miss a class, this we have now this huge infrastructure to accommodate um, these types of things. So I think benefits to teaching is um, probably we're, we become more flexible and we can accommodate students from a variety of backgrounds better through this experience. And then in terms of research, I think um, research communities that have been geographically spread out and don't talk to each other, um, maybe in the new environment can be brought closer together. And one example is, there's this thing called, uh, I work with something called nanocrystals, quantum dots are nanocrystals. There's uh, a seminar series that's been going on every week since, since May, um, where researchers around the world give a seminar on nanocrystals. It's called the News in Nan- Nano crystal seminar um and it's great because i log in and i see who's there and it's like all these people that i met at that conference two years ago but i get to kind of see them virtually every week now so the the community feels closer together in some ways and maybe those will continue post-pandemic i don't know if that was exactly what you were looking for what you know what could be the pros of having survived the pandemic
0: Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) yeah yeah no that's, that's a good answer Um, so, like, as you, in the future, what do you hope to, to get involved with at Amherst?
1: Well, I guess I mentioned that I, the Being Human in STEM initiative excites Mm -hmm. me and I'd love to be involved in that in the future, um, collaborative research, uh, you know, across departments. I've already had some conversations with with, uh, biologists, Mark Edwards and Sally Kim, about using um, their fluorescence microscopes to look at some of my materials. Um, I've had conversations with the physics department about using their electron um, paramagnetic resonance machine, um, which is kind of a complicated machine, don't worry about it. (laughs) It's a physics physics machine um, to look at some of the, the materials that I make in my chemistry lab. Definitely in the future, I think the barriers, you know, when we are allowed to gather together, I'll be able to meet the professors in other departments a little bit easier. Um, and so I really look forward to some collaborative initiatives, but also kind of involving myself with ongoing initiatives, like being human in STEM. Um, and maybe new ones will fall in my lap that I will excitedly join. Um, so when you're
0: not teaching or doing research what do you do in your free time
1: oh um well i guess historically i love backpacking but it's a little hard right now because i mean i guess i could do it out here but during the pandemic it's a little bit hard to plan those trips um but i really like so since i've been here at Amherst, i really like um jogging on the Norwoodic Trail or the, I don't know, there's all those trails by the bird sanctuary, jog around on those um, and take my bike for a ride down to Northampton on the Norwoodic Trail. Mm -hmm. Um, I've done, I I guess I said this to the the student when they interviewed me, but I like to do bad baking. Like I'm not a good baker, but I like look up a recipe and try to make something. And sometimes it fails pretty miserably like i tried to um like uh make something involving egg whites that would be like light and fluffy but the egg whites never became they never whisked quite right and it was just like this horrible dense cheesecake um i ate some of it anyways (laughs) so that's a kind of a a fun hobby i picked up
0: Mm -hmm. sometimes i i've i've had um some pretty bad baking experiences but i know know sometimes for some reason some ugly looking pastries and bread can actually be pretty tasty
1: yeah right like uh, i don't know if you watch the great british bake-off but that's certainly my inspiration for a lot of my baking
0: Mm. Um,
1: but there's there's one contestant on this year's episode that would always make very ugly bakes but very delicious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well
0: um thank you Professor Oshansky for for meeting with me and sure, yeah. talking. It was great to hear from you and um your excellent guest.
1: Yeah thanks for having me. And
0: uh thank you listeners for tuning in. Stay curious, stay informed and stay tuned for more.